Well, we hope all of you were able to enjoy just a fantastic Easter week. Uh, if you missed out on any of it, I would really encourage you to go back and experience uh, anything that you missed uh, through our online services on our YouTube channel, because we got to be inspired by the unexpected God in the person of Jesus. We started off Palm Sunday and looked at the unexpected King that Jesus sought to be. You know, demonstrated by riding into Jerusalem instead of on a horse, you know, on a donkey's colt, demonstrating that his kingdom was to be ushered in through a posture of humility and servitude instead of one of power and control like every other dude on a horse. And then we celebrated what was so good about Good Friday, discovering the unexpected path that Jesus constantly, consciously chose to take to demonstrate his love through embracing the pathway of pain and suffering and even death. And then on Easter Sunday, we kind of crescendoed by discovering Jesus' unexpected power that he made available through his resurrection that you and I and us together could experience the transforming power of his love in and through our lives. And it was just a great week. We hope that you, you enjoyed and are able to experience all of it. But as we thought about it, and we thought, Let's actually add an extra week to this Easter celebration, not just because we want to soak in more of it, although we do, but because we felt that there was actually one additional kind of surprising twist, one additional aspect of the Jesus story that for many of us may be still kind of unexpected that we wanted to encounter today. And that is the fact that the Jesus story didn't actually end with the life of Jesus. So the, the activities of Jesus at Easter, like his life and then death and resurrection, were not the end of the story. Unexpectedly, they were just the beginning. Now, like every other unexpected aspect of uh, Jesus' life and work, um, he tried to explain this to his disciples while he was still walking the earth. And in John chapter 14, he said this to them. He said, very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Here, Jesus kind of predicted two things. One was that he would eventually be going back to the Father, but that when he does, his activity would continue and even continue in greater ways in the lives and through the lives of his followers. And Jesus begins to kind of foreshadow or envision the idea that his life and legacy would actually continue after his life on earth. He goes on in this same passage in John chapter 14 to explain why or how that would come to be. He says this in verse 26, it says the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Jesus says, when he returns to the Father, because of his resurrection, there's going to be a new resource available in the form of what he calls the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowering the lives of these followers of Jesus was going to play the role of what Jesus describes as an advocate. 
Literally, an ongoing support and teacher and encourager and enabler of Jesus' life and legacy to continue in and through the lives of these disciples. Well, before Jesus returned to the Father, after he'd uh, risen from the dead, he reminded his disciples of this very promise in uh, the New Testament book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said to them there that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, before ascending back to the Father in heaven, Jesus promises the receipt of the Holy Spirit. And through this risen spirit of Jesus, indwelling and empowering the lives of these believers, they were going to be able to function as what Jesus calls his witnesses, literally people who would be able to testify in what they say, but also in how they live to the reality of Jesus. Basically people personally and together who would live in a way that would validate and evidence that Jesus was real. And that validation and evidence was going to spread the message and the life and the activity of Jesus, not just in the city where they found themselves, but in the surrounding regions and all the way to the ends of the earth. That through receiving Jesus' risen Holy Spirit, these believers were, were going to be able to continue the life and legacy that Jesus started on earth. And certainly that's what we see as we read through the book of Acts. We see some weeks later, these believers actually in a moment received the Holy Spirit through an event that in the Christian calendar we refer to as Pentecost that almost immediately made a palpable difference, not just in them, but in their capacity to live as these witnesses in a way that spread the love and life-changing message of Jesus beyond them. So much so that the author of this book of Acts that recounted this activity of the Holy Spirit through these believers described the activity of the Holy Spirit as the continuation of the life and legacy of Jesus. In fact, you may not know this, but the author of the New Testament book of Acts was the same person who wrote one of the biographical accounts of Jesus' life. He was a doctor named Luke, so he wrote the Gospel of Luke, not surprisingly. And what he writes at the beginning of Acts is telling. He says this in verse 1 and 2. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, the person to whom he was writing, referring to the gospel of Luke, he says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Do you see the unexpected twist of how that book begins? That everything Luke, as a medical doctor, carefully investigated and archived, defining kind of the sum total of Jesus' life on earth, his birth, his life, his teaching, his miraculous activity, all the way to his death and resurrection and his return to the Father. Luke describes all of that as what Jesus began to do and teach that according to Luke, describing the book of Acts and the activity of the Holy Spirit through the lives of these first century believers, the book of Luke and the life of Jesus was all that Jesus began to do and teach. And even as we celebrate the Easter weekend, 
It was just the very beginning. The person of Jesus culminating with what we celebrate at Easter wasn't the end of the story. It actually unexpectedly was only the beginning. And the incredible part is that the life and legacy of Jesus continues today and can include you and I and us together in it as personal and collective followers of his. Now, as we think about that and think about the, the life and legacy still continuing and in an unexpected way, you know, Jesus' life not being the end of the story, but only the beginning, I kind of wonder whether there's sort of a, a low-grade angst in some of us, or maybe in a lot of us, wondering why we don't palpably seem to experience more of that wonder and abundance today because of that. Why isn't that more of our reality today, especially 2,000 years later? You know, this is true if Jesus' life and, and death and resurrection was just the beginning. You know, why is it just pervasive and palpable in our world and in our lives today? Well, obviously, this is a huge conversation. I think in the interests of summarizing, there are a few reasons why we can kind of miss out on not only experiencing this story of the propagated life and legacy of Jesus for ourselves, but we can miss out on participating in it in a really thrilling, unexpected way. The first is that like Jesus' early disciples, I think that there are times where we find ourselves maybe misinterpreting or misunderstanding what Jesus' story was about. We miss out on Jesus' story because we actually misunderstand it. What I mean by that is that many times we assume that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus are to apply to us if we become a follower of his. They apply to us at the end of our earthly life. It's like we receive Jesus' forgiveness and new life for when we're dead, not for when we're alive. Almost like a spiritual version of a get-out-of-jail-free card. And because we believe that what Jesus intends to do is affect our eternity, which he certainly does, we sometimes forget that Jesus intends to affect and involve us in his reality today. And because we misunderstand the purpose of Jesus' life and ultimately death and resurrection, we actually miss out on the wonder of participating in the Jesus story today. I think another reason is maybe the, the, the inverse, not just because we imagine Jesus' activity only applying to our eternity when we're dead, but in the opposite way, because we're only fixated on our lives here on earth. We've got too many stresses and struggles to deal with, and we've got to make ends meet, and you know we're, we're, we're so busy kind of building an earthly life for ourselves that we can miss out on the story. Kind of in the inverse, we reprioritize Jesus' story to some kind of, you know, kind of other than or also rank instead of being the thing that we're engaged in our lives. And so we miss out on Jesus' story when we pursue all of the things of our life on earth and look to Jesus simply to kind of bless that or enhance that or encourage that rather than fully investing ourselves in his life and legacy. Jesus warned his disciples of this in Matthew chapter 6, among other places, where he said, listen, don't worry about life on earth, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? All of the kind of temporal stresses and, and struggles of our day he says, for the pagans, people who lack faith in Christ, they run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But he says, instead, seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Jesus invites us to participate in his story, but it happens through seeking first the propagation of his life and legacy, what he calls the expansion of his kingdom and the experience of his transforming work in our lives, what he refers to as his righteousness as our primary priority. And through prioritizing his kingdom and his righteousness first above all else, all that other stuff gets taken care of. I think, you know, when we kind of right-size our understanding and right-size our priority of Jesus' story, you know, that can enter us into it. But personally, I think that there's probably a third and maybe a more significant reason why so often we tend to miss out on the wonder and abundance of the story Jesus wants to tell today. And that's because we've engaged in it, but somehow we've experienced hurt or heartbreak, or disappointment, or betrayal, instead of the life and abundance and love that we expected, and because of the pain that we experienced, we've just decided to tap out. We, we miss out on Jesus' story when we've experienced pain in our story, not, in Jesus' story, not, not just because the experience of pain is contrary to Jesus' story. It's not. We learned that on Good Friday, that sometimes we've got to embrace pain as the pathway to love, but specifically because when we experience pain in Jesus' story, in light of what we expect from participating in Jesus' story, it can motivate us to just give up and tap out. And I know there's so much to say on this, so I'm, 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 I'm summarizing, hopefully if efficiently, but I think more than anything, we've got to appreciate where we find ourselves in Jesus' story today. Because as much as uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday kind of marked the beginning of all that Jesus began to do and teach, the beginning of Jesus' story that continues today, the, the ultimate arc of Jesus' story hasn't concluded. And we see in the scriptures that when Jesus returns from the Father one day and reestablishes what the scriptures des describe as his new heaven and new earth in a way where the Bible says there will be no more heartbreak, no more crying, no more pain. We live in the intermediate of that story still being told of that story still working towards that ultimate end and conclusion in an era of reality that I've heard described as an already and not yet, where Jesus has already claimed victory over sin and death, but not yet claimed it fully and completely. And so we live in this soup of both being able to experience the wonder and miraculous activity of Jesus' life and transforming love, while also experiencing and enduring the heartbreak of continued fallenness and brokenness and sin. And because we live in this intermediate, it often threatens our experience of the expectation of participating in Jesus' story. And because our experience is different from our expectation, we experience that gap known as dissatisfaction. And so often it motivates us to tap out, especially in the context of relationships where so much of that heartbreak and pain can experience because Jesus' primary way that he intended followers of his to demonstrate and function as witnesses of his was in community, a specific community that he called his family and his body referred to as the church. He uses those metaphors as 
images of Jesus' collective followers representing him as witnesses in ways that he also referred to as his bride that he deeply loves and is committed to building and growing and expanding. But most of us have experienced such a gap between what we know to be true of Jesus and what we've palpably and experientially been confronted with in the church in the same way that Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And because that gap exists between expectation and experience, the pain that it causes for so many of us causes us to opt out. And I would say if that's you today, especially if you're watching online, maybe from home, kind of doing everything but opting out, uh, I'd encourage you to just take a step back and again, survey the story of the life of Jesus and what he invites us into. Because the question that every one of us need to ask ourselves today is not whether the story of Jesus has been fulfilled completely or perfectly, but whether our participation can help it become that. Because the choice in front of all of us is to look at the story of Jesus, especially through the community of his followers called the church, and recognize that it doesn't totally make sense of Jesus. It doesn't function perfectly, even after 2,000 years. And because it doesn't, tap out or appreciate that Jesus wants it to become more beautiful and become more perfect and become a more complete and compelling picture of who he is to be a witness in the world in a way that inspires us to give the very best of the rest of our lives to it. Will we tap out because it doesn't fully reveal Jesus or invest ourselves in it to make it work that way? Could we, by investing the best of ourselves in the story of Jesus, not just personally and together, could we change the temperature of the faith community and the reputation of the church from one of harshness and judgment and exclusion to one of grace and radical inclusion abounding in love? Could we flip the script on what the church is known for in arguing against stuff and instead before the very things and especially the people that Jesus was most for, the kind of people that society kind of pushes to the fringes. You know, instead of being known by arguing over and dividing over issues, could we instead band together to tackle particularly personal and social issues and become the kind of haven for people who are desperate in their struggles of loneliness and anxiety and depression and addiction? And could we invest ourselves in this way, not in a got-to kind of obedient resignation because that's what we think followers of Jesus are supposed to do, but in a get-to because real time today, we get to participate in the continuation of the reason Jesus story by his risen life, empowering us personally and together. Here at Southridge, that's the invitation that we want to respond to. That's the default choice that we want to make and what we want to invite all of you into as well. Instead of giving up on the church because it doesn't work right, and instead of, be, instead of giving up on our church because it's not yet fully revealing Jesus, can we instead invest the best of the rest of our one and only lives personally and together to make it work that way to a greater degree? 
so that personally and together we can be witnesses of Jesus. We can validate his reality in the world and make sense of him to others in the way that we live, unleashing his life and life-transforming love to others so that they can experience the unexpected twist of their lives and their futures and their trajectories radically changing, being confronted by that unexpected king through that unexpected path and that unexpected power represented in the person of Jesus. That's the opportunity that Jesus invites you and I and us together into today to live in a way that continues his story Because most unexpectedly of all, when it comes to Easter weekend, the life of Jesus didn't end. The life of Jesus only began and wants to continue through his risen spirit in the lives of you and me and us together through his family and body, the church, to be witnesses that validate his reality in our world and carry on his legacy. As a really beautiful example of this, specifically in our community and even more specifically in our St. Catherine's location these days, of a situation that we might have thought was the end of the story that actually continues to have legacy today. We want you to check out this video of a new uh, ministry initiative called Norm's Place. Check this out. 